Hello, you're listening to Fish Food, a podcast for entrepreneurs who started working for themselves to build companies that grow into thriving businesses. Here, we provide bite-sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 20 minutes or less. I'm your host, Keila hill Trawick, and whether you're acting as your own accountant or looking for a new one, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show. Hi, and welcome back to Fish Food. I am so excited today. We, you're actually our first repeat guest, which is funny. <laughs> but of course you are. So uh, we are going to jump right in. Uh, this is Amber, who I love as a friend and as a client, uh, as most of you have heard in other episodes or when I speak in other areas, she's a big part of the reason that little fish exists. But before we jump into all of that, Amber, I will let you introduce yourself. Thank you for that. So my name is Amber Cabral. I am the founder and principal consultant of Cabral Co, which is an inclusion and equity focused strategy firm. So that means we do training and coaching and strategy and all of the DEI things. And we mostly support well-known organizations. So brands that you've heard of, brands that you shop at and regularly encounter, but also we do some work with small businesses as well. Um, I also am the chair for a organization called Brown Girls Do Ballet, which is focused on making sure that we have visibility and access for brown ballerinas. That includes a point shoot program and an ambassador program. And we make sure that girls have mentorship as ballerinas on their way to pro or not. Right. So whether you go pro or not, we want to make sure you still have access and visibility. So those are my my two titles, if you will. I'm also <laughs> author. So I've written two books. Yes. Um, one's called Allies and Advocates. It came out in 2020. My second book came out in 2022. It is called Say More About That, which you will probably hear me say in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Both books are on my shelf behind me. So if you haven't, um, audience members, if you haven't heard Amber's backstory, we already have that in an episode, so I'm not going to have you repeat that here. But one of the things that I'm really passionate about and that we've been talking a lot about on this podcast this season is the idea of sustainability, right? Small businesses who are intentionally staying small. And obviously, I know that you have experience with that, but I would love to go back to, because I know at the beginning, you didn't even know if you'd have a team. So would love for you to kind of talk about the journey from solopreneur, I'm kind of knocking this out to I have people that work for me now. Yeah, um, and that is a journey. <laughs> Let me tell you, <laughs> lots of like potholes and lots of like rainy days and all kinds of weird stuff like that. So I started this business with the intent of saying, hey, I know a lot about DEI. I'm really good at it. Lots of people trust me. And so I want to lean into to this space. That means solopreneur. I'm going to do it. People are going to pay me to do it and I'll manage whatever needs to happen on the back end with potentially a little support here and there, um, virtual assistant, etc. Very quickly, the requests grew like very quickly. And so the next thing I knew what was supposed to be just my foray into, you know, I am going to be a solopreneur became too many requests for me to be able to handle. And yeah. so I had to make a decision like, do I want to grow or, you know, am I interested in, you know, just having to turn away, away work. And because I'm also passionate about DEI, turning away work didn't feel good, you know? Yeah. So I had to make some decisions about, you know, what it was going to look like and 
you know, initially I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know if I was growing a business that I was going to sell. I didn't mm-hmm. know if I was growing a business that, you know, was going to get bigger. I didn't, I hadn't even considered those things. And that's, you know, if looking back, I think every business owner should have a moment where they think about that, where you're yeah. like, what do, I, what do I want five, eight, 10, 12 years from now? And I don't know that I had, I had no intention of being a business owner anyway. And so I did not think about it. And then I got to the point where things were coming in so quickly and I wanted to do them. I wanted to. And so it was like, well, you can't do all of it. So how do we grow? And so that's, that's the journey that I went on. Um, So we have mm, 10 people. Um, Most of our folks are part-time, which I still can't believe. (laughs) (laughs) But, but we can actually pay 10 people y'all, which is mind blowing. Um, most of our folks are part-time and, you know, we have some contractors and, and that's that thing. But um, there are a couple folks that are full-time. And so with that comes a lot of things to think about, you know, benefits mm-hmm. and how you support and what you offer. And, you know, again, my job is inclusion and equity. So I am always trying to give people the things that they need, you know, and so that's expensive, you know. And so, um, yeah. yeah, that it, it's the decision almost happened to me. I almost got to a point where I couldn't do all of the work I wanted to say yes to on my own. Yeah. And so I had to make the decision to grow. And the the only decision was grow because otherwise I would have had to say no. And that wasn't what I wanted. Now, even with growth, like obviously the hits keep coming, right? So you keep having opportunities where it's like I hired five people and then there was more work and I had to hire two more people and then I had to hire three more. Um, One of the the things that I say is like we all have to find our enough. We all got to find a place where we're like, yeah, after this point. I'm not getting no bigger. I'm not taking in any more clients or whatever that looks like for you. How have you come to the decision? Because I know that you've been intentional about like this ain't going to be an empire where I hire a hundred people because people keep asking for me. How did you get to a place where you got to say, okay, maybe 10 is not the number. Maybe 12 is the number, whatever that is. But eventually we're going to get to a place where I'm not hiring any more people. Yeah. So right now our number is about 110 Um, when I think about us growing and I think about the revenue that I would like for this business to make, I feel like we could, and I've thought about like where people, Mm -hmm. the numbers about 110, um, for perspective, 110, what people max in the company. Yes. Okay. And that's still small. (laughs) Like, yeah. Well, since it, so the thing first to realize is that small is relative. Yeah. Um, some folks small will be one or two. Some folks small will be 10. Um, some folks small will be 50. Um, but the Small Business Administration says if you're making less than $11 million, you are a small business. And so mm-hmm. we are still small. Um, and at 100-ish people, we will still be pretty small. Um, mm-hmm. We may tip over that small business administration measurement um, and revenue, but we will still be considered a small organization in terms of number of employees. And that um, 110 people is a decade from now. Yeah. You know, so I am not looking to grow quickly and I am not looking to grow large. So I had to get to this place because I guess the thing that helped me make the decision is I know the bigger you get, the harder it is to translate the heart of the mission. Yeah. So 
for me, knowing what the heart of the mission is, I started to pay attention to what it looks like for me to train people to show up. What does Mm -hmm. it look like for people to be impactful? What resources do they need? How long does it take folks to get onboarded? And we're still pretty much tweaking that stuff. Mm -hmm. But what I want is the heart of the business to still be survivable. And when I think about the company, what I think we can do for revenue, what I want our impact to be, and what I want our core to feel like who we are as a culture, I can't manage much more than about 110, 115 folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and by manage, I mean, like, I'd like to know your name. I'd like to know where your job is in the organization. I'd like to have a sense of how long you've been here. I'd like to have a bit of influence in terms of what you're learning. I'd like to be able to say, hey, we have a fantastic person who's working over in blah, blah, blah area that did this thing. And I can't do that if it's 2000 of y'all. Yeah. (laughs) So, so my decision to stay, stay small is really rooted in wanting the, wanting the meaning and the impact that we make and the core of who we are showing up, making that impact to be palpable from myself on down. And so, you know, while we could probably have a hundred people in the next five years, that's probably, I mean, and that's top, like for the record, that's the top of the number. Um, We could very well cap out and say, hey, 45 people, we run well, things are great, which is still really small. Um, but we intentionally want to stay small. And for this next couple years, we are staying under 20. Which- yeah. And that's what I was going to ask about, because us included and a lot of people that are listening and pretty much all of our clients are like 10 or less. Yep. We've got a couple that are at the 2025 20, level. But for the most part, when we say small is that 100, 500 people, we talk about micro businesses yeah, that micro. have that many. Right. And knowing that obviously the way that you're built, the kind of support that you have, the people that really help your business to run, you could very well decide I, we could do 50 in the next five years, Mm -hmm. but right now in being dedicated to staying under 20, to staying incredibly small, Mm -hmm. what gives you, I guess, not just the confidence, but really the understanding to know that this is enough, knowing that you could get bigger and choosing not to right this second. What is your kind of enough measure that lets you know that you don't need to make that shift right now? A couple things, you know, do I feel like we can make the revenue that we can make? Yes. Um, Do I feel like, you know, the heart of the business is going to show up the way I'd like it to show up. Absolutely. But also being okay with walking away. (laughs) I think, I think part of the, there are several people that do what I do that I have watched grow really quickly and then shrink and Ah. differently. Like, okay, so maybe they grew really quickly with employees and then they said, nope. And then they tried to grow again with contractors and then they said, Nope, you know? And so, um, and then there are other businesses I know that have taken on a lot of work and haven't grown fast enough to support that work. I don't want to create pain points in my company. I like being in the position where what we deliver is so good and so high quality and so valuable that people will wait for us. Yeah. And so that's what we're focused on. We're focused on when you make a choice with us, it's the right choice. Mm -hmm. We're going to partner. We're going to show up. We're going to be impactful, but we're small. So not everybody, you know, gets to get it. Um, The unfortunate thing is I do inclusion and equity, which is why I had to be really honest with myself about how small, how, how big my small could be. 
Yeah. Um, so I had to be really honest about that because one of the things that is really important to me is impact. And for me to be able to make an impact that matters, I do have to grow, but I don't have to be Deloitte. I do not. Yeah. Be, I don't have to be, you know, in competition with Amazons and Walmarts and, you know, Exxon Mobiles in terms of size or revenue in order to be impactful. And so I think the the best way I can approach that is like get really clear about what your financial objectives are mm-hmm. and what is going to feel like enough money because you have to have money to run your business what is going to feel like enough impact because likely mm-hmm. whatever you're doing and care about in your business you want to make an impact as well and then the third thing is you know how important is it for you to have a culture that is rich and palpable and healthy because the bigger you get, the harder that is. And I know, because I do culture for companies. Yeah. You know, that's like my thing. And so I go into organizations and help them to figure out how to make shifts to their culture, you know, make impactful changes to how they're going to, um, you know, show up for their customers or their employees or, you know, what things their leadership needs to do. And so I know how hard it is to shift a culture when it's big. It can be done. But I know how it's a how, lot of bureaucracy. Yeah, I know how obstructive lots of elements of just business are to that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yo, let's let's stay small enough where you know we can flex and be nimble. We can have the impact that we want to have. And so that's kind of how I got to enough. It matters a lot to me, and probably because I do work in culture, it matters a lot to me to actually feel like the culture here will be able to be sustainable and held intact because we're not so big that it's lost by the time you get to the second or third level down. Yeah, it's really interesting because at Little Fish, we've been thinking a lot about this idea of exclusivity, right? And this feeling, especially as small businesses, that like we're all in this together and we're all trying to do this. And also the recognition that when you're small, just the reality of time constraints and people constraints and all of that mean that you can only do so much. Now, what so much looks like for every business is different, but we're in the same place where it's coming to if we only have this many people on the team and we want to promise a service that we can deliver for all of you only for us right now, a hundred people total taxes, monthly services, all of those things. Um, And it feels good and bad at the same time, right? To your point, figuring out then what things do we do pro bono? What things do we do as a group um, kind of group project so that we can talk to more people at once, whether that's speaking engagements or cohorts that we stand in front of, all of those things. But the other side of that is there's a financial impact, right? It's really easy to say, I'm going to stay small when nobody's asking for you. When people are asking for you and you have to say no, I know specifically for women, um, especially for black women, it can feel like complacency. This idea of like, you're going to turn that money down. People are trying to pay you and you're saying no. So would love to hear a bit about just from a financial perspective, how those decisions have affected you, but also like, how do you get here knowing that you could make more and mm-hmm. deciding that you're ju- that's just not going to be the thing that you chase right now. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be your ethos. Like some businesses are about making money. And that's like one of the things like how we started this conversation. And I was saying like, you know, figure out earlier if you're building a business you want to work in, if you're feel- building a business you want to sell. Yeah. Because if you're building a business you want to sell, then like the culture is not as important as the profits. It's not the priority. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> but yeah. It's not as important as the profits. And so you have to figure out what your objective is. For me, 
I tumbled into this because I have a passion for it. I have a heart for this work. And so the likelihood of me selling my business is very small. And if someone inherits it, it is going to be someone that I know has the passion, that I know has the heart, that I know is interested in seeing you know, this organization grow. It's not a sale just for the dollars. No, it's not a sale right. just for the dollars. And so you got to get clear about what that part is, you know? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't do that very well. Um, a lot of people somehow end up, you know, in things like I did, where it's like, oh, I'm good at this. Oh, geez, it makes money, you know? Yeah. And I got to get to a place where you're willing to make the decision, how much is the money worth? You know, do I want this enough to go ahead and expand and grow and and take all of the problems that come with growth. Because see, that's the thing Mm -hmm. people don't talk about. Listen. It's a lot of things that come with growth. I'm gonna tell y'all, if you aren't there yet, when you get to the point of offering benefits, benefits will take your whole company out. Hey, for one person. Offering the benefits you want to offer, (laughs) okay, Mm -hmm. will take your company out. And that realization alone is very, very challenging, you know? And so even with that, you'll come across that and you're like, okay, we got to make more money. And then you have to decide like, but is it time, you know, yeah, to grow like that? You know, are we, do we have the systems in place? And that's the other thing is like, there are a lot of businesses that grow based on the revenue that like their systems are all kind of jacked up on the yeah. back. Their, you know, processes are completely unorganized and not documented. My little bitty business is, you know, we not perfect, but you know, we run pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> processes in place that work. And so I think that is also a thing you have to consider is like, how important is it for you to have a business that is like healthy and functional that you mm-hmm. have oversight over and, you know, can have a say in how people are experiencing work day to day versus how much money you're making. Mm-hmm. You know, and if the money matters more, then you got to be honest with yourself about that and also get clear about if you're building a business you want to sell or a business that you want to live in. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, a business you want to sell, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for you to be like, oh, we're not ready to take this money yet. You're going to be like, we're going to take mm-hmm. the money and we'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, so for me, it wasn't, it hasn't been a hard decision to say no, you know, to the clients that aren't a good fit, to say no to the, you know, oh, this is too many of this or that or, you know, whatever. It hasn't been hard to do that because because we are clear that our objective is impact mm-hmm. and having a culture that feels good and being like having a long legacy more than it is having big dollars on the front side. And I'm curious about that because obviously you're there now, right? Like how many years in have you been doing this full time? 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So it's been, it's been five and a half years. So now at a place where you can see like, all right, the business is running, the systems are doing what they do. We've got the right people in place. If we're going to add the right person, it's going to be the right person, both from a team and from a customer perspective. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this a bit on the first episode that you were on, but obviously this came from humble beginnings. Like all of this was not set up that way at the beginning. You didn't know that you were going to end up here. And so especially because we know that finances come with a lot of feelings. Was there fear around that when you start coming to a place where you're like, oh, crap, because this is where we are now, too, where it's like, oh, the only way that we can get better internally is to start saying no even more often. I thought we were pretty good at saying no, but now I got to say no almost all the time just to like baseline everything to make sure that everybody's on the same page so that we can provide a better service. As you were on your journey on the way here, before you got to a place where you're like, the culture don't hold it here at this company, 
was there fear around because you work with major companies and that means major dollars could be coming into the business saying, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> when you came from a place where you knew that that money could have been life changing for you and your team. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that I am probably anomaly in the sense that I did not have a lot of fear. Mm. And I think the reason I didn't have a lot of fear is because I came from Walmart. Walmart is the biggest yeah. company in the history of the world. So I know that anybody that approaches us is smaller than that. <laughs> so like, yeah. I, there's another one that's coming that'll be a better fit. And so I have a little bit of a tainted in a positive way perspective that protected me from like a lot of the fear around, if we say no to this business, will we get another one? Because I have yeah. such a perspective of like what another one means, right? And so, so no, I haven't had a lot of fear, but that doesn't mean I wasn't thoughtful. Mm-hmm. But we say no in a very specific way. First, we very rarely say no forever. Ah. We rarely say no, like, nope, not ever, not y'all, right? Um, we also are very intentional when we say no to, a, a, you know, an opportunity to have income. We are very intentional about feedback. I have given very uncomfortable feedback to very visible companies. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard some of these Yeah, things. exactly. <laughs> uh, but either one, <laughs> you know, we don't have a problem being like, hey, so no, but also here's some learning. Don't do this again. Yeah. yeah. So we do that. And then the third thing is we like to tell people, hey, when you hit these points and you have questions, hit us up because we'll probably be the right partner at that point. And if we can't partner with you, we may have some recommendation. So Mm. for me, no isn't always like a hard no. It's in fact, very rarely a hard no. I can only think of a couple of clients that have reached out to us that like, we said no to that if they circled back, we'd still say no. We'd be like, no again. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's those are culture issues. Yeah. You know, we have visibility to, you know, who you are as an organization in terms of your culture. We are not a good fit. You think we are because you think we can fix a thing. Yeah. But we're not a good fit. And so we wouldn't pick that up. Now, if the culture changes, you know, and there's different leadership, you know, that could potentially even flip. But like very rarely are we a hard never, ever know. We're usually a mm, not at this time. Um, And very rarely do we say, no, we can't take you because we are full. We'll say, no, we can't take you because it's not a good time or Ah. we're a good fit for you or Mm -hmm. we're not sure you're a good fit for us. So because we're small, that's the other thing. We work with big businesses, big brands that you Mm -hmm. know. And so sometimes, you know, we get in a organization and we realize, oh, you're used to working with really big brands <laughs> and yeah. we're not that. And so because we're not that, we have to let folks know, like, we are not a big brand. You've got to engage with us as a small brand. And here's what that means. And we're going to help you and support you. And we'll be available for you morning, noon and night. But we do have boundaries that we, you know, adhere to, you know, we have things that we prioritize. We have ways that we engage. We do not take a single phone call. Very rarely are you going to get me on a phone. We can do consult most of our business either on Zoom or on email, you know. And so like there are things that we do as a small business that like a big brand sometimes is like, but we want, (laughs) you know, we're like, that's nice. But to work with us and to get the sauce that we don't get to boss me, you don't get to do that. And We've also worked really hard to make sure that what we offer makes it worth that. 
that the yeah. experience that we're giving, the quality of work that we're you know sharing, the information that we're providing, the way we make recommendations is valuable enough mm-hmm. that you see the equity in flexing. And so, yeah, it's a lot of strategy to that. But I also think staying small has let us let us get really good. You know, yeah. we get to be really good because we're little. So, yeah. Yeah. So I have a question that's probably personal to me because I'm going through it. And yeah. we always talk about how like Little Fish is right behind Kavrako in terms of things that are coming up. But one of the things that I think we both experienced, and this is going to come up a lot for very small businesses, is this idea that things that you thought you were going to outsource, it turns out are your job. Okay. And so there are, for both of us, we've had conversations where it's like, I'm trying to hire somebody that's going to take this off my plate and they're going to do it. And either the person isn't a good fit or what I actually realized I need changed or whatever that ends up looking like to the things that you think I'm going to be a firm owner and I will be up here. Turns out I'm not truly in the weeds, but I didn't (laughs) get to go all the way outside of that. I know that you're in that same position because of conversations around like coaches and trainers and obviously wanting to build to a point where more people can take things. But right now it's you Mm -hmm. staying small comes with that as a pro and a con. And how do you deal with that? How do you manage this balance of like wanting to be at your enough, not growing your team exponentially, but also recognizing that that is a pull on your own bandwidth in order to stay in that way? Yes, this is such a yummy question. It's also a very specific to you question. So people are not going to know they need this answer until they get here. (laughs) But yeah, if you're not here yet, just come back and listen, because you're going to (laughs) come. But when you're here, you're like, yes, that. So the first thing is, oh, this is such a tough one to answer. So for me, the first thing I would recommend that I didn't see until I tried to get it off my plate is like, get really clear about what part of the business you love doing. Yeah. You don't mess around and be like, you know, I'm spending so much time doing this thing. And low-key, you love that. <laughs> you like that part. It's the other stuff that you can't get rid of so that you can do more of this. Yeah. Yes. So, like, get clear if you love a thing. I I love to train. I love to train. So it's been really hard for me to, like, think about hiring other trainers because I'm like, I love to train. I like the experience I like engaging and I'm good at it and I'm good at it and I'm and I'm charged up after like I love it and so I'm like but I can't do all the trainings so it's like okay so what what do I do to figure out how to both get what I want out of it and also get what I need off my plate because the thing that I'm really good at that I also love but like not as much is content development i can create i can create a training class for a 90 minute course that'll support let's say 50 people or more i can make that in 25 minutes you know what i mean like because i have like if given the right information and i get to ask the right questions i can totally outline that course like like it's nothing it takes more time for me to like type the document and make sure it's spell checked and looks right. Yeah. For me to like have the idea and be like, oh, this is what the training is going to do. Here's the experience we're going to have because I'm so good at that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
but I can't, that I can't teach, but I can teach you to train. So understanding what do you love and what can you actually teach? Yeah. Because I can't teach somebody how to write a high quality training in 25, 30 minutes. I can teach you how to write a high quality training. I can teach you the questions I ask myself. I can teach you, you know, the things you should be considering about your audience to help you get there. I can give you that, but it is going to take so much more labor for you to do that than it is for you to train the course once it's done and it's written. And so getting clear about what you love is important. So you still get to hold on to that, but it might not look how you think, right? So I'm at the point in the business now where like, I don't do as many trainings. I do almost all the workshops. Um, I, uh, I do a lot of the consulting, but not all of it depends on what the subject matter is. There's a couple people mm-hmm. on my team that are better than me at a couple things. Right. Um, and we learn from each other. And I'm also the kind of leader that's like that. I don't think I have to be the best at everything. Yeah. But, you know, I we can't yeah, be. Yeah. Impossible. So I'm always eager to hire people that I can learn from and share with. And so I guess the best way to answer that question is a get clear about what you really love and then get clear about what you really can teach. Yeah. And it, when there's overlap, the rule that I keep in my brain that I am living by right now is, you know, just and this isn't going to feel good to answer all the time, y'all. But it's the truth is like, what are the things that only I can do? Yeah. If anybody else can do it, it's got to go. If I'm overwhelmed, how do I get it off my plate? If someone else can do it, I got to figure out how to teach someone else to do it. And so that doesn't mean that I let it go completely. Right. So what we've done to answer Amber really loves to train is I, you know, initially was going to hire someone to manage delivery, Mm -hmm. tried to do that. I'm not giving delivery away. I'm going to keep delivery. I like delivery. I actually should still own it. So yes, I'm still the visionary and the CEO for my company, but like, I'm also going to own delivery. Right. And there will come a point where someone will come along to put, you know, that will take that over. But right now it's me and I love it. Right. Yeah. But there are parts of delivery that I can hand off that like are not pieces that only I can do. And so I have to be intentional about passing that along. So those are the two questions I, I would recommend you start with. And then as a third thing, like you have to get comfortable with the idea that someone may do something different than you. It doesn't mean it's <laughs> Yes. So like the it don't have to be exactly your way. Thing. Yeah. The delegation thing is one thing, but like you got to be okay that once you delegate it, their approach to it may be completely different than what you do. And that yeah. doesn't give you reason to like micromanage, hover, course correct. Give people the opportunity to do the work that you've given to them. And when there needs to be adjustment, give it. But like, I have definitely had to be open to the fact that like, I do this this way, but other people can get to the same result using a completely different technique. Yeah, I would add to that, too. Once you figure out what you love and what you can teach is figure out what kind of support you need. One of the things that I realized is at one point in my business, I was like, I got to get off these calls. Like it's taking up so much time. I'm talking to somebody all the time. I'm drained. It's all of that. And what I realized is it was all the things around the calls that were making it difficult. Mm -hmm. I love talking to clients. I love problem solving. I love looking at your numbers, figuring out what the story is and talking about what the next steps. My favorite thing is now what? Yeah, we got financial statements. Yeah, those mean something for last month, but now we in this month. So what do we need to be talking about to really push the company forward? What I can't do, though, is 
prepare tax returns, make the financial statements, be the person that's doing bookkeeping, like figure out what support you need in order to do the thing that only you can do so that when it's your turn, you just pick up where they left off and do it. I think when you're a visionary and when you're an executor, it gets really easy to be like, well, since I'm here, I'll just go ahead and do the four things that come before the weeds. You're in the weeds. You are in the way. I am definitely- That can be your job. Recently, as in like this week, y'all, I don't check my email anymore. My assistant checks my email because she was like, I'm so proud of you. This isn't that's a big deal working. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. like, You're doing things, you're responding to stuff I've already reacted to. Get out, you know. And so, and I mean, she's way sweeter than that. She'd never say that, but like, definitely, we're clear that like it's better for her to like funnel what needs my attention, same, and then her just send me, you know an update to say, I need your thoughts, reactions to these things. And I react to that instead of me being in the, okay, let me see. Did I do, okay, let me work on, because I'm going down all these, and that's not the best use of my skills. I just gave away email, like maybe last month. Same thing though. I just gave away my emails maybe like a month ago. Cause I had to start, you know, you tell yourself, I'm only going to check them for an hour in the morning. I'm going to see what's up for me. And then I'm going to do the next thing. That's not what happens. You end up in a rabbit hole, three emails down. And now, my whole day has gotten swept up by this one thing. And so, yeah, figuring out how people can support you best, how people can be the editor on the slides or the calendar builder or the workshop scheduler, like these pieces that you think you hate. You're like, I, you know, in this example, I hate doing workshops. It's like, you don't. If you could just stand up and do the workshop, you would be fine. It's the 17 other tasks that need to come together to make the workshop happen that you actually hate. Yeah. And I also think you have to like, you have to be in a position too where you're able to. So this is a thing I definitely am navigating. You have to be open to feedback because I don't always see the thing. Yeah. I yeah. But like, thankfully, I have the kind of team where we're really deliberate and they, you know, my team feels like they can say like, well, I can do that. Just I yeah. information. So like having that feedback loop open, I mean, it's great for lots of reasons, but it's definitely really good when you are a person who wants to delegate, but doesn't always see where the delegation should happen because it just, yeah, you might not be able to articulate what the step is. Yeah. Yes. yes that's a huge thing. Um, I just recommend feedback loops for every organization in general. Like you need to have that. Like it's it it will make your whole business life way easier. So I've taken up plenty of your time today and I appreciate <laughs> you giving it to me. As we wrap up today's episode, I would love to hear from you because you've had such a journey and you're doing so many jobs within your company, following new dreams. Like you've always been a writer. And so to see yourself in print, not once, but twice, and gone on some additional times. Would love for to hear from you. What is your enough right now? Like, what is that line for yourself where you're like, yeah, this is exactly what I need to feel happy, at peace, whatever that thing looks like for you professionally so that you can have it personally? Wow, that's a really good question. What is my enough right now? I, you know, that's such an interesting thing to manage in my brain at this moment, because you know this, my father just passed. Yeah. And so I am to a degree sorting, you know, what meaning 
yeah take from that to a degree and what lessons and so i'm i don't know for sure that i have a really strong answer for like what's enough right now but i what i do know for sure is that i am deeply grateful for an organization that has heart that is robust in terms of the value we contribute both from an emotional intelligence impact as well as like a tactical skill set impact and also deliberate about boundaries with our clients Mm -hmm. i i i stepped away for 90 days yeah and i had to and I didn't know I could do that in my company, but also that was like, that was the enough. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. That's the test of your enough. Exactly. Yeah. And the enough definition was I need to be able to step away when I have to, and things will not explode, yeah. you know, and I won't, I won't be pulled in. So, and that's not to say that I didn't touch any business the entire time, but I did not feel like I had to be consumed with business at a time that was so important to just like my life and my family and my well-being and all of that. And so like, it's a little hard for me to like figure out how to capture what that means, but I think Mm -hmm. enough right now has a lot to do with, I always hesitate to use the word balance because balance doesn't really exist, but like creating the kinds of workspaces and environments and relationships with our clients and connectivity with our team and authentic leadership that when a need needs to be met, it does not have to be destructive to the business, even if it is a step away or a direction change. It's creating space. Yes. I feel way more confident with us needing to shift or pivot or adjust or, Hey y'all, it's a recession coming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A recession coming for two years, but it's a recession coming And we need to prepare for that. Like, I feel way better about that now and feeling equipped for that now Mm -hmm. than I did before I had to step away because I was dealing with bereavement. So like, yeah, I don't know what exactly to call that, but like that enough is important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I thank you for sharing, you know, how much I admire all the things that you're doing. And I just think that this is a really important conversation for people to be able to hear in thinking about like what it means to build a business, not only that feels successful to you, but also feels like it's the business that you actually want to run. And I think that you did an amazing job in sharing your thoughts around that. Um, For people who want to engage with you more or find you on the internet, where should they look for you? Yes. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, you can go to either my company name, Cabralco. We post over there. Um, If you're looking for me specifically, I'm Amber Cabral. That's C-A-B-R-A-L. It's also going to be in the show notes. Um, There is an AmberCabral.com. I am also a a lover of the Instagrams. (laughs) (laughs) Instagram stories, or you just want to be nosy, I'm going to post something that's thoughtful or provocative at least once a day. And so my username over there is actually my nickname, which is Bam, B-A-M, Cabral. And so you can find me there as well. Um, That's most of the social that I do. So hop on out and find me. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you got to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. I'm going to be the third three, the the first three timer too. Yes, triple threat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. 
If you like what you heard, I've got good news for you. We're supporting you all over the internet. Check out our Instagram at littlefishaccounting or our website, littlefishaccounting.com for guidance, resources, and ways to work with us. Plus, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you don't miss a future episode. See you next time.